Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine's Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or Instagram Aaron underscore Dugan. I am Stephen Godfrey, and I am at 38Godfrey on both Twitter and Instagram. Look at that. We did that right. It worked We're out so just social. fine. Look at so that. social. <laughs> Look at that. Our first show together. It's going to be wonderful. We have a huge show planned, of course. Week one of actual college football games is going to happen this weekend. We will touch on Bama. We got Georgia Clemson. LSU's on the road against UCLA. We got all kinds of new coaches debuting. Ole Miss is taking center stage on Labor Day night, a sentence I never thought I would say, but it is, and it's going to be a ton of fun. So we've got a lot of stuff to discuss today on the show. Our guest, Joseph Goodman of AL.com, talking Bama and Auburn a little bit later on in the show. So we got a lot of good stuff. However, Aaron Dugan, my favorite part of the program, Fringe Element, is brought to you by... Had a week off, so see how this goes. Um, Fringe Element is brought to you by... uh, Jasper's the key to the cupboard of happiness. <laughs> okay. Steven, do you want to grade her on these from now on? Okay. That, that was, it was inventive. Key to the cupboard was not what I was expecting. You know, see? you got to say, say something for her. Okay, reference. fine. Jasper's call them for a good time. <laughs> Perfect. Ambiguous, enticing. I like that one. Thank you. I, it's my it's she thinks I'm kidding, Stephen, but it's actually my favorite part of the entire show. Not talking football, but when Aaron tries to tell everybody why they should go to Jasper's, which by the way, has free parking, an amazing happy hour, and is a great place to watch the game as college football and pro football has started. See, there you go. It all comes full circle. Free parking, wildly underrated. In Nashville, Tennessee. Wildly underrated, folks. We are a big city now because I complain about parking a lot. Downtown Nashville, free parking. Germantown? No. Okay. Go to Jasper's. All right. We've got a lot of stuff to (laughs) go to Jasper's. We've got a lot of stuff to cover today. Joseph Goodman coming up a little bit later on. Number one, how much of this podcast should we dedicate to talking about Alabama and Miami? Go. Why are we being mean about this already? This is what we asked for in college football, right? I mean, like, why the tone? Why the tone? Seriously. Now, is this going to be a football game? Technically for a quarter. All right. We're going to do what we do every year. It's look, these are Labor Day traditions, people. You get in the pool like maybe one last time if you're a little bit further north than us. You watch Alabama murder somebody by about 35. That's supposedly a great program. We've seen it happen to USC. It's going to be Miami this year. This is what we do. I think this is a great tradition. (laughs) Yeah, we're, we're. We are, um, you are kind of, you are kind of like underwriting this game. That's okay. Cause we're going to underwrite a game that you're really excited about here in a second, but yeah, yeah, that's not fair. Uh, but that's coming up in a second, Aaron, you like spent time actually thinking through Alabama's playbook and stuff. And I just kind of poo pooed all of your thoughts about, about Alabama and Miami. I mean, Aaron, listen, you spend, if I spend time thinking, you should definitely value that. <laughs> I don't know uh, what you're thinking. Well, he's, look, got, um, he's got a nice quarterback. Okay. Done. It's an interesting game. It just has a foregone conclusion. How about that? I am interested to see. Well, I just don't think, and we talked about this a little bit, all three of us before we got on here, about how, you know, Alabama really, we're not going to have to see, I don't think, Alabama pull out all the stops against Miami. When I was digging into their schedule, I think it's, you could even argue that if Florida is still kind of trying to get their footing in week three, we won't have to see Alabama deep into Alabama's playbook by then either. Then you've got week four. They won't need it. Week five is Ole Miss. And if their defense doesn't pull it together, there's a good chance that Alabama won't even have dug all the way into their playbook or had to really pull out anything creative until we get to week six at Texas A&M. And that's a long, that's pretty deep into the season for you not to really have to show what you've got. Uh, Completely agree. Steven, is this already too much time spent on Alabama? No, because there's a meta game here, and this is why it's interesting. It's not about the score of this game. They are superior to Miami in every way I can think. I'm still convinced that I, I still don't think the quarterback situation for Miami is, I would say, a, like on par. But I, I don't think it's face value. Okay, none of that matters because we are in a, I guess, like a change of revolution or a change of cycle for Alabama. And every time that happens, you get into the internal metagame of how aggressive can Nick Saban promote competition culture and get all the noise out of the system that Alabama assumes they're going to win the game. Everything I just said at the top of the segment, that's what they're fighting. That's the whole origin of the rat poison thesis. They're looking at Miami and saying, you have to compete with yourself individually. This sounds a little cliche, but 
talking to actual coaches who have been on this staff at different points in time in Saban's career, this is where he earns the money is where you take all of these new faces at skill positions and you come in and you show the same amount of consistency that Alabama showed last year with all new faces and all the key on-field decision-making roles. So that's what I'm looking for. They are better than Miami for the rest of the year and, and judging Alabama moving forward. I'm looking for just Alabama on Alabama stuff. Bama minus 18. Uh, all right, Georgia and Clemson. And I, I came. I, I think Georgia can win this game. I think it's going to be ugly. I think it's two of the best defensive lines in America. I, I think it won't look like Georgia has evolved on offense, but I think they're going to. I think they can win the game. I think they're going to win the game. I like Georgia to pull the upset in this game. I think then Georgia proceeds to do Georgia-like things as the season unfolds, losing to Lou Holtz in South Carolina or whatever Steve Spurrier in South Carolina. Pick an old coach that coached elsewhere and now is at South Carolina and. I, I, I don't know. I just think it's going to be a hell of a game and you guys both don't seem very excited about it. I mean, I'll force myself to be, if you want. Why, why are you not excited about Georgia Clemson? <laughs> both of you answer these Partially questions. Partially because it's pissing you off, but yes, absolutely. <laughs> Damn it. Dugan, uh, explain yourself. I mean, I, I, maybe I'm kind of leaning away from it because I don't know what's going to happen. So I don't want to, I don't want to take a hot take on a game that I have really don't know how it's going to go down. I mean, I think that I think it'll be close. Um, I'd love for it to be. I don't know how, but part of me thinks that it's just not going to be that exciting. I would, I know I would echo Hooray, college football. I would echo Yay. most of what Aaron said here. My concern here is that we narrative build too fast. We get, we, we have such a long off season and then we want to take the smallest sample set, literally one game, and then try and determine the future of the entire season off of it. We do this habitually with these neutral site kickoff games. We do, we've done it since they, since the Chick-fil-A started doing this annually in Atlanta. I know this one's the, the Duke's bowl or whatever. They sent me some stuff. Go Dukes, I guess. But this game cannot, the the history of these neutral site kickoff games tells us that we overhype one one or both of these teams and that it's not going to be as impactful down the line as we think. Now, I want to go back to one thing, Braden. You said that we will not see a promised Georgia offense, the the evolution of a Georgia offense. Is that because of trying and failing or not having the initiative in the first place? Because that's the only question I have about this game. (laughs) No, I think it's, I think they can win this game a, they've got a lot of injuries at skill positions, so they maybe don't have the personnel yes. that they would want to have. George Pickens, Washington, a bunch of guys are out uh, at wide receiver and tight end. Also, Clemson's defensive line is, I think, maybe the best in the entire country. So I just think the game doesn't lend itself for Georgia fans to discover if if this evolution has taken place or not. I, to your point about narrative building, I, I don't. people are going to overreact to this game both ways, whether Clemson wins or whether Georgia wins. That's just football and, and media in 2021. But I what I what I could see happening is Georgia winning the game like 19 to 17 and or, or you know 27 24 and people still complaining about the Kirby Smart offense not evolving. And I I want to prepare people for they could win this game and the offense look the same as it always has, but not because of lack of trying or whatever, if that makes sense. All right, let me give you this insight on my home state. Okay. If they win this game nine to six. They win this game and Georgia is back and Georgia's Georgia's going to the national title. Okay. The anxiety that you're talking about specifically will set in when they fail to beat Kentucky by more than five or six. That's when you start to build the Georgia anxiety. A win is a win is a win is when is the if they win on Saturday, this would be the biggest win for Georgia since win under Kirby Smart. SEC, no, Oklahoma, 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 Oklahoma right? Yeah. Okay. The, the anxiety for their postseason performance in general, and the fact that they feel like, oh gosh, maybe if we quietly plateaued, is this is this Mark Rick Redux? Those are the concerns. So if they win by four safeties and it just rains a lot, they don't care. The offensive anxiety is going to build as they get into conference play. See, there's always a fun thing to be worried about when you're a Georgia fan, yes, even yes. after a win. Aaron, this is what I want you to be excited about. Let's try to build up as much Georgia anxiety throughout the course of the season as possible. And if we're rooting for that, then we're rooting for Georgia to win. Shouldn't be that hard. You wouldn't think. <laughs> I want to know, Braden, from you, though. So, you know, you think Georgia can do it, and I, I don't doubt that. But we talk a lot about how long it takes an offensive line like to really get settled. Are you not 
pretty worried about that newly settled O-line against Clemson's defense. Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. If I'm Georgia, okay. I'm worried about everything. Just, so what do they but, have to do to win offensively? I, 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 that's the thing. I think they're going to take the air out of the ball and not look like the evolved Georgia offense that we want them to be. How, but how can but they I do that? And how you, I think that's because their defense is that good and Clemson's breaking in all different pieces. Their offensive line's got major questions too. And again, we're talking about stratospheric teams here, right? We're not, we're talking about where, where the, the, the margins for error are, are, are nothing. We're not talking about the, the difference between UL Monroe and Kentucky here. We're talking about right. two teams that are basically even and they have offensive line problems too. And Georgia's defensive front seven is disgusting. They're a bunch of snarling Rottweilers. Like they're going to go take them down. Like I, I, I just have faith in Georgia being pretty good. That's all. And then failing all- elsewhere when the anxiety gets too high. There's only one other program beside the one in Tuscaloosa that we just talked about where you can break in an entire group of skill position players and still find essentially program consistency. You can still use the majority of your playbook. You can still look like what you're doing, right? Clemson is that other program. This is why this is no, this is why no, I, I don't think Georgia wins this game and it may actually be good for them. If the pressure comes off a little bit, that's true. Just by insane Georgia logic. I know, I know you're absolutely right. Which so speaking of insane logic, let's get to LSU. Um, there is I, no logic. What yeah, I think, logic? Yeah, I'll be very quick and get out of the way on this. I think UCLA, one of the most veteran teams in America, who got a warm up last week, who ran the football like crazy on Hawaii, is at home, has a veteran quarterback. I think UCLA wins the game outright on the money line. Give me the Bruins. Uh, Aaron, are you are you as much of a fan of just LSU insanity as I am? Yeah, I, it's it's fascinating me. It's like no no matter what we do, the universe will not allow us to know what's going to happen with LSU this year, <laughs> what they're going to look like, how bad or good they're going to be. And also, I I was hoping last week would um would give me a little bit more of a hint, but since UCLA got up so quick on Hawaii, we still didn't really see what their quarterback was capable of. So I still am just as lost as I have been all off season. Unlike Georgia Clemson, which I'm having a tough time prognosticating, and there's not necessarily an outcome that I'm just dying to experience and how that spells for the rest of the season. You could tell me literally anything is going to happen in this game. And any one of those situations is going to be one highly entertaining and two anxiety building, because (laughs) I know this is an sec show, but remember, even if LSU comes out and goes back to Joe Burrow esque world beater standards, that's going to put Chip Kelly directly back in the crosshairs, especially if the margin of victory is high enough. This is the most entertaining game of the week by far. I don't know what's going to happen. It's okay to say that out loud in media. This is going to be something you want to watch rather than taking two good helmets and banging them against each other, which is Alabama versus everyone and Georgia versus Clemson. Uh, although, and I'll add to that, it is going to be the most, it'll be the most picturesque football game you may watch the entire season lsu ucla uniforms pasadena california the san gabriel mountains it it is a a close game entertainment value anxiety value i'm with you i think it's the best game in the sec this some lsu fans from like bro bridge trying to barbecue a coyote in the back end zone or yeah (laughs) i cannot wait for the tailgating i i've I've ever had coyote aaron to eat I've had no. a lot of I've had a lot of food. I've never had coyote. Cajun will eat anything. That's the joke. I um, know. Half I, my family I, lives in New Orleans, but I don't eat what they eat. I uh, I've been I've covered Rose Bowls and I've covered games in the Rose Bowl. I have never covered I've covered many LSU tailgates and LSU games. I have never seen these two these two factors combine, and it is uh, the combo would be an acquired taste. I'll put it that way. I'd rather there just be like if it is a blowout, just send a reporter out to the tailgate for sure especially if LSU's losing. <laughs> yes. I think the interesting thing to me is it's like a lot of talent, which I've talked a lot about LSU. I'm just like, this thing could fall apart at any, it's like a house. It's like a house made out of cards. It's like a lot of talent, but it's a team totally built on sand in my mind. UCLA, I think maybe has a little bit less on their roster to show, but I think that they're more built on stone than LSU. So it'll just be like the really talented shit show or not. It, some, this, are there some biblical references? I think those are biblical references. Well, it's going to be Sodom. It's going to be Sodom and Gomorrah if, if LSU doesn't. If, if the defense looks like it did in Week One last year, 
because it's funny, Aaron, you mentioned this, like UCLA downshifted pretty quickly because they could, and there's certainly no reason for chip to show even close to his full hand last week. So we don't really know the capacity with which they're running in terms of like offensive creativity. And, and a lot of people have talked about well, what is chip Kelly 2.0 in college. This defense for LSU was so fundamentally bad that it was really three or four entire play calls that were run concurrent by Mississippi state last year in the opener that absolutely embarrassed and otherwise good in terms of like star quality roster personnel defense. If they come out with a new coordinator and some new faces on the defense and do this again, you yeah. will not, you yeah. will not come back from that as Ed Orgeron. You are done. Wow. So, so coach O fired after no, um, not fired, not fired, but uh, walking wounded. We'll say, I, I, I in a, in a moment, in a moment of like brief sincerity here for for the three of us, <laughs> um, should we, should we mention the fact that like the entire community is underwater right now? Like that doesn't. I mean, I, I know it plays a small factor in maybe where their heads are at, and maybe that's a reason that UCLA can win a game, a football game, a sporting event, but like. It, it does have to factor in it some in some way, shape, or form. I right? actually think, if anything, it would go Gal the other way. Okay. I think that they'll, yeah, I think that they would be more likely to galvanize around it. I understand there's a lot of distractions. That all depends on, you know, how much these players' immediate families are being affected. And if, like, something, God, for, God forbid, something horrible happens to one of the members of their family or their home. <laughs> but I would say, overall, you know, all other things considered, it would be more of a galvanizing factor, like you said, than the opposite. So a couple of things I'd point out real fast. I talked to a couple of people at LSU over the weekend, and I, I do have a ton of in-laws that are all in different parts of New Orleans, the Baton Rouge area. Uh, one thing to keep in mind is what these kids are, uh, what, what they consider to be normal. Yeah. And so what I'm getting at is this, this generation of Louisiana football player grew up as the Katrina generation. So you're still seeing kids that are growing up in places like Houston and Atlanta and Chicago yeah. that are actually displaced New Orleanians. What I'm saying, unfortunately, is this. This is a sense that this is not normal. What what happened this weekend is not normal by any stretch. There, the culture in New Orleans, the culture in Louisiana, they are accustomed to this kind of displacement. They know how to work through it. And LSU specifically as a football program has had so much experience adjusting on the fly, moving practices, changing schedules. I don't really think it's going to affect them this much. Yeah, I I, I kind of agree, and that's why it's so weird to like bring it up at the end of the conversation, just to make sure because obviously it's very serious, and obviously we care deeply about what's going on down there. Stephen, I know, like you said, you've got uh, a lot of family down there. So, um, all right, old old Mississippi on Monday night that they, I I I laid the points. I took Ole Miss minus the nine and a half. I think coming out of week one, because of recency bias and because we have seven second attention spans and because we don't care about defense anymore. I think Matt Corral has a chance to be the biggest star of week one of college football because the entire world is going to watch him destroy Scott Satterfield's hopes and dreams on Monday night. And I don't know if he's like, he'll be the front runner for the Heisman Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of next week. Do, do you guys, can you Whoa. see that happening? Uh, yeah. Ahead, I, yeah. No, I guess you're right. In terms of Heisman. I try and flush Heisman talk from my mind at all times, but I, I, I'm, I'm saying not our show. I hate it. I'm saying so you're saying like a seven, a seven touchdown day and it's, 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 it's running unopposed. It's on Labor yep. Day night. Yeah. I guess, I guess you're right about that. The first thing I go to, because I guess I am a hipster contrarian is tell me one thing about this defense that, that is going to make it any different than last year because it is historically bad and has been for a long time and this is still a program in 2021 that is feeling the effect of the ncaa sanction from going on basically four and five seasons ago because defensive depth ended up being the last thing that they could address and it's continuing to hurt them even more unfortunately this is going to be not a popular opinion because of the style of offense that they are running yes it's inventive yes it's effective and very good but it also has 40 set 47 second scoring drives and it's showing just how thin they are on that side of the ball i think they win this game i think louisville will embarrass them on defense yet again I will say that, and this is going to be, you know, I take like a less tangible route a lot of the time, so I'm not going to talk numbers, but with Ole Miss, I think unlike the, you know, storm that we were just talking, oh, I shouldn't have said that, <laughs> the mess that LSU it seems to be, 
Ole Miss is doing a lot of things right. And I followed this pretty close, closely inside the athletic department and really went back to their roots, broke everything down. And although they may not have everything on paper on both sides of the ball that they need to be, you know, that top tier SEC program, they are going all the way back and really breaking down and working on camaraderie, which especially in a political climate like we're having today and all of the unrest in the country, making sure that their guys are having um, conversations that matter is allows <laughs> Godfrey's doing like a disco show. In I, his, it's in my television. Room. Yeah. Sorry. My um, television is like going nuts. Aaron sorry. is trying to make a very serious point here. <laughs> I know. And the lights just started She's being here. serious sorry. for Gosh, once. Sorry. <laughs> what a gift. Wow. They're doing these things called get real meetings. And it has a lot to do with them just getting on the same page, talking through really hard conversations. And I think, although that may not, you know, show in week one and they still have a lot of work to do I do think that that's gonna is showing that Ole Miss is heading in the right direction because creating cohesion especially amongst a group of of kids and student athletes that inevitably come from a large variety of backgrounds means that they're trying to to use the stone reference again build their team up on stone and the guys have even talked about it a lot to the media so I think it shows it's maybe making a difference so just like something to think about that's not X's and O's. How many coaches or how many schools rather? We'll just do the SEC. We could do we could do the entire Power Five. Would offer their current head coach a lifetime contract guaranteed right now. How many? Four or five? Yeah. In the SEC, like one, maybe. As I can tell you this with all the expertise in the world, as someone who's investigated his alma mater ad nauseum, Ole Miss so would I offer. Know. Yes, I know. Ole Miss would offer Lane Kiffin a lifetime contract tomorrow if they thought he would sign it. Guaranteed. Because of what Aaron's talking about, because of the offensive turnaround, because of the marketability. And I'm going to be honest, there is something unique about, uh, Let's. I'm going to be very diplomatic here, uh, a certain air given off by the University of Mississippi and its graduates in the Grove and the bow ties and the <laughs> seersucker and Lane's sort of cavalier attitude on social media and in the media. It, it, it's a perfect intertwining dance. And you haven't really seen this ever at this particular program. I have no idea what you're talking about, but I will go eat some <laughs> shrimp out of that chandelier, though. I will. Oh, I will go do that. Uh, but uh, I do also want to make like uh, the tough conversations. I My mind immediately goes to a lot of Lane Kiffin jokes immediately that I just will hold off on, on, on distributing on this podcast. I do think back to the game that they are going to give up 600 yards in like 38 points and yes. And their, their defense is going to look atrocious. They're not going to stop anybody good in the sec, but they're going to beat everybody. That's quote unquote, not good. Louisville is not good right now. Um, and so I just, I just think that's going to be lost in the shuffle because Matt Corral is going to have like a thousand yards and seven touchdowns. And I think everyone's just going to be obsessed and he's there. He's going to be on highlight packages on every network for a week straight. And you know, when they play Bama and get embarrassed, that conversation will end. But I, I do think that in a standalone moment, there will be a lot of run for Lane Kiffin and Matt Corral next week after the game. That that's how I feel about it all. No, I mean, and that that is that holds with the Ole Miss that we saw under Hugh Freeze. That holds with the Ole Miss that we saw even the first two years of Houston Nut. They're going to get out early. They're going to be explosive. That's how they entered the zeitgeist is they score a lot of points. They do something unique, whether it was the wild, you know, wild rebel where they had Dexter McCluster. They become a little bit of like an oddity, a little bit of like a tchotchke for college football fans who aren't normally paying attention. Then they play a real team and they're going to get destroyed. Yeah, yeah. Aaron, have you ever gone on a date with someone who showed up in a seersucker suit? No, and if I if I had or arrived sure. and that's what he was wearing, the date would be over. Has anyone ever successfully hit on you wearing a seersucker suit? Absolutely not. Bow tie? No, not even. Suspenders? I don't think so. I'm not into yeah. it. It's not my style. Okay. <laughs> it's like a proto version of what like the cocktail bar bartender would wear now. Like, did you notice how yeah. that sort of yeah, yeah, yeah like a the little old, closer like to Ole Miss in my neighborhood? Actually, <laughs> yeah, like. But there's a difference in like hipster, like Gadsby, like yeah, great yeah. Gadsby suspenders. And then right. like what you see with like the light blue with like little red crab, like 
Mm-hmm. Like just preppy Brooks Brothers shit. At he the has bang, he has bangs over his eyebrows, and he's a forty five year old lawyer who's been just divorced three times. Just can't do it. Just and, can't and do it. Wearing clear glasses, doing an <laughs> SEC podcast, and croquis. Let's not forget. <laughs> I hate you. Fringe Element, Aaron Dugan, is brought to you by Jasper's. The leader in unbuttoning pants across Middle Tennessee. Holy <laughs> shit. That, that got weird real fast. That was I don't, so, that was so oh. unintentionally sexual. It was yeah. an accident. Yeah, that was super sexual, Aaron. Yeah, don't, but you get it. I mean, you eat a lot. Okay. Right, when you get fat because you've eaten at Jasper's too many times. Or when you're taking your pants off for other reasons. <laughs> continuing the sexuality Just well what am i it. supposed to do i already said it and i know you're not going to take it out so nope, i'm not taking it out i okay. mean whoa whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Just, uh, i really um, um really. so people should go to jasper's uh to watch football games how about that call them for a good time <laughs> i'm trying to get us back on track aaron back okay. on the track where we okay. tell people why they should go to a wonderful <laughs> establishment like jasper's to watch football games and eat food and drink beverages and enjoy their other people's company and watch their See? favorite team. <laughs> and, you're just, and you're just taking us and you're just taking us into the gutter. I almost did it again. Do it again. Go for it. What else you got? How many more? No, you you have? just said enjoy people's company. And I started laughing again because you get it. <sighs> Jasper's located only two blocks from the Hustler Hollywood, Nashville. (laughs) Getting us back on track now. (laughs) Go to Jasper's. You can park for free. And after a few cocktails, if you happen to meet somebody at Jasper's, there's a Hustler right down the street. Uh, Yeah. I mean, could walk, could drive. I believe the hustler has free parking as well. Stop I'm just it. kidding. I don't stop know. It. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. It, do, it does actually, but stop it. Stop <laughs> it. <laughs> Listen, football <laughs> is here. This is a week one preview podcast. And Jasper's is the sponsor of this podcast. And so we are supposed to tell you that you need to go to Jasper's. They have a wonderful meal, free parking, great happy hour. It's a great place to watch the game. No you can post up there like game. all weekend this weekend because we've got games games galore on different days so you can just go and you could do like four happy hours in a row four different days four yeah. three yeah no five five technically five. technically five so thursday friday saturday sunday monday five yeah. straight days of college football and sec teams on like all but one of those days probably yep so, so you could potentially do four sec football games at jaspers in a five-day span with four different happy hours that's something and, special. And according to Aaron, bring four different partners with you. No, I didn't go that far. I did. Well, that's good because I've I mean, made... it's a, look, it, there's people, people speed date all the time. You could just take four different people to Jasper's over the weekend, four different games, and you would absolutely narrow the field down quickly. People show <laughs> up to Jasper's this week. They're like, oh, I'm here for the um, speed dating, the speed dating uh, event. And they're like, what are you guys, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> no, but I mean, Think about that. I don't know what it's like to date because it's been a decade. But like, if if I could ever meet four people that wanted to go on a date with me back in the day, you could in theory just just like line them up back to back to back to back on on the first weekend of college football at a wonderful establishment like Jasper's, and you could you would weed out like you would get to the number one team in the country pretty quickly. Is what I feel like. Maybe Jasper's will set me up my own speed dating event there. Just, just it's not, me. It's not speed dating for the city. It's just it's like for the Aaron. Bachelorette, except for it's only one day and it's only at Jasper's. And and it's like one of those reality TV shows where there's contests. It's like who can eat the entire plate of barbecue sweet potato fries. Right, and then at the and end Aaron's they find watch. out they find out at the end that I just didn't want them to speed eat it at all, and I judged everyone who tried really hard. Yeah. Like I, then, I don't, I don't, the hot dog eating contest, like that kind of speed eating didn't really do it for me. Oh, uh, I can't watch it. I can't watch it. Gross. Yeah. I can't watch it. It's gross. We I can, watch, I can watch football. I can watch football at Jasper's though, because it's a great place to watch the game. And uh, they got great happy hours, great food. Um, the, the menu's great. It's just, what else can we say about Jasper's? It's a great place to watch the game. Maybe we'll be I'll there be this week. doing weekend. that on Saturday. 
Maybe we'll be there this weekend. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Go to Jasper's, everybody. Uh, all right. What else? What else is next here on the show as we move on from Ole Miss's domination of Louisville? Um, all right. Here. I know, Stephen, I know you're into this. I, I, I can't wait to see what Tennessee's offense looks like. I don't think we're going to learn anything <laughs> against Bowling Green. Hang on. Hang on. I don't think we're going to learn anything against Bowling Green. Um, Tennessee will win. I think the backdoor cover there for Bowling Green is nice. I don't think we're going to learn anything about Joe Milton because I don't think he knows how to put touch on the football yet. He was named the starter. Uh, Oh, by the way, Ken Seals named the starter for Vanderbilt. And, um, but I do think there's a similarity here between Carson and get this. I think there's a similarity between Bo Nix and Joe Milton. I, I really think there is all this talent, all this ability, three years at a program that's got major expectations that is underachieving. The difference is Joe Milton transferred to Tennessee previously at Michigan. I do think that's a similar bio to that of Bo Nix. And and the difference is they both are good offensive coaches that are now the head coaches. I I just think there's some more similarities there than people realize. Okay. That's a tough baton to take, Braden. I'm just going to say that that's it. Are are we trying to sneakily put Tennessee up on the same conversational strata as Auburn? Are they both six and six this year? Maybe. No way. Mm-mm. Wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Aaron, okay, am, I I'll, cra- I'll am, I cra- Aaron am I crazy here? Or are we just, no, yeah, he's, wow. he's, he started drinking the juice again. I thought we had, oh, no, 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 no. I've got, I've, I have money on Tennessee under six wins. I have money. You have on $5 on it. That's money. That's actual <laughs> real dollars. I have to ease into being as honest slash cruel as I need to be about this program. And I'm no. not going to do it in week one. No, don't ease into it. Just no, do it. No, why rip off the bandaid. Go. What is the best case scenario for this program period in 2021 that you, that you actually uncover enough NCAA violations to prove that you should have fired your other coach because oh. you were trying to save money? No, I'm serious because this is directly yes, I, you, going you to affect right. recruiting no, you and, right. and, you and the roster for the next three years. You were right. You should have just let Joe Milton throw for 300 yards against Bowling yeah. Green and left the poor big orange people alone. Just leave them so alone. So en- enjoy six wins this year because something is going to seismically change underneath the feet of this program in the offseason. This is why it's hard to talk about Tennessee right now. They're trying to live like there's no tomorrow because there literally might not be one. Here, here's the thing, though, Aaron. Um, Tennessee fans actually kind of agree with all of that this year for the first time in their lives. It's not overwhelming excitement this year like jeremy pruitt it it was i think they're finally there you think they're finally like i don't even know how to describe that not it's like like being it's like your dad and mom taking your car away when you're 17 where are these reasonable tennessee fans i don't know any (laughs) everybody i know and i've lived in the state 16 years you couldn't fill a mcdonald's with one like what stop it they don't i'm telling you they're just not as excited as they've been in the past they're just who are they (laughs) What? Everyone Come I know. Forward, reasonable Every- Tennessee fans no. across this good uh, state. Uh, yeah. Step I, forward right. now. I'm with uh, Aaron because I've yet to see this unicorn face. prancing across I-40. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't think so, champ. I try to tell my daughters that unicorns aren't real, and my wife gets very angry at me. You're um, normally the most reasonable Tennessee fan I know, and now <laughs> I've lost all faith. Oh, I'm uh, I'm unreasonable because I'm being reasonable. That's irony. Uh, all right, Auburn's offense. What does it look like? Tennessee's going to suck. I got it. You guys are on board. Auburn's offense. What does it look like? This is going to be a controlled scrimmage, which is exactly what they need. God knows they need football more than anybody right now because of the uh, decisions that they've decided to decided to make or lack of a decision they've decided to make as a program, as leaders. Um, I know we talked about this last week, Braden, but I just want to shout out Derek Mason one last time for maybe the most shade I've ever seen on an Instagram post. And they even had the little font on that was beautiful. Um, They are going to run the ball a lot. Akron is one of the worst rosters in the Mac. All of these small G five teams are going to benefit from the super senior rule after COVID Akron ain't one of those teams, folks. They're not real, real good. Uh, They are going to run the ball a lot. They're going to use a lot of shift and a lot of motion. I'm just curious where the personnel from the previous administration, considering how vastly different Gus Malzahn's offense was, how that fits into this and what is it that they do extremely well? What is it that looks a little shaky again in this kind of controlled, controlled scrimmage environment? Because while I don't see six and six as an outcome, I certainly don't see them contending in any likelihood. So let's find out where where we live in this year, Auburn. Are we live in at eight or we live in at seven or nine. That's kind of the neighborhood I think we're going to. I think they've got pieces, and and I'll let Joe Goodman do this uh, a little bit later on in the show. He 
he, he sees it pretty similarly to you, Stephen, which is, uh, and I'll let him explain his own thoughts here. But um, I, I agree. There's some pieces there to like. They could do some Auburn things with with Tank and the offensive line, especially mm-hmm. in, especially this week. Um, but much like the Georgia conversation, until I see Bo Nix actually do something different, uh, I, their upside is completely limited. And it's a first-year head coach. And you know what? Like, he's missed a week and a half of camp with COVID because he refuses to – I don't know. Acknowledge reality. I, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's an odd choice. And um, you know, again, Joe wrote a column about it last week for ale.com and we'll talk with him a little bit more about it uh, coming up in a little bit. So I, I don't know. It's, I am fascinated with the schematic element of this conversation, which is Harson versus Bobo right. and, and what the push and pull. And, and we talked a lot about this last week, so we don't need to go down that well, path. again. Uh, Braden, I will say this. I don't know if you're going to see a whole lot of Knicks because one of the things that Harson was sort of acclaimed for at Boise was very carefully bringing along new quarterbacks. This quarterback is new to him. What they're going to do is exactly what you said. They're going to run. They're going to stretch out that offensive line. They're going to see how versatile they can get and run out of motion. I think he's going to have Knicks do just a little bit to build back his confidence. So I don't think you'll see a ton against Akron. Aaron, he spent a lot of time just discounting Tennessee altogether and just obsessed with something that's not even going to happen for like 12 months and is obsessed with how many tight ends are moving pre-snap with Auburn. I'm just, I just want to point out the discrepancy at 38 Godfrey, Tennessee fans. I, I will you find a positive thing. this out right to each other. There's no need to include a middleman in y'all's fight. I will it's find a positive not. thing to say about Tennessee as soon as I can find a positive thing okay. to say about Tennessee. Josh Heupel's a nice guy. Uh, that is your that is your homework. Um, <laughs> he doesn't. Hey, he doesn't have to deal with UCF fans anymore. Boom. There's a positive thing. I, I don't think that's that positive. Oh, not uh, having to deal with UCF fans. Have you been on for, Twitter? That's for, a great thing. It's a great thing for him. It's, hard. it's yeah. not a great thing for Tennessee necessarily. Uh, you, y'all did a nice thing for him. 80, yeah, <laughs> Danny. Thanks, thanks, uh, thanks, buddy. Danny, Danny, my buddy Danny took care of me for me. Uh, all right, uh, Aaron, I know this one's in your wheelhouse here, and that is South Carolina's starting quarterback, the legend of Zeb Noland. He is a graduate assistant that joined for Frank Shane Beamer's staff. Um, I guess for this exact reason, uh, he will be your starting quarterback. I'm not sure I've ever heard of this ever in college football. Yeah, I was going to say the subject matter of the situation, I don't know if it's really in anyone's wheelhouse, but I can speak to what, uh, why I am less surprised that this could potentially be successful than some might be. And that's just because I spent a lot of time inside the walls of um, an athletic department and I know what the role of a GA is. And I would say assistant is a gross understatement of what these guys do that are already maintaining a essentially full curriculum, a lot of them. And they have not gotten totally off that schedule of a student athlete. In fact, they're probably doing more. They're at every single practice, full curriculum, taking classes. And they're also in the part of their career where they're really proving themselves and trying to figure out where they're going. So these guys know the playbook and oftentimes some of them, both sides of it backwards and forwards. Like if I was ever pulling an all nighter before a big video deadline, which I had done more times than I'd like to admit, I almost always crossing paths with the GA at any given time of the day in the break room with them drinking coffee at 3 a.m., 4 a.m. Um, and they also have a, a closer to a team like or teammate like relationship with the guys than the coaches do. They haven't really had to be the disciplinarian, but to the players, but they are extremely knowledgeable. So I don't really see that locker room transition being as hard. It's not like taking a random position coach and sticking them in like the end of the end of the team. Like these guys are, they're much closer in, in a lot of ways. Um, let's, and, put, let's put special teams coach will Muschamp on the kick coverage team. <laughs> see, see, see what he does. Yeah. And then make it quarterback. No, I'm really interested. I think this is a really cool story and, and um, I really hope it, it works out because I, it seems like a weird graduate assistant Cinderella story to me and I'm totally here for it. I'm just still, it is unique and it's interesting. And in the media, we're constantly looking for something like that to talk about. So I'm, I'm happy in that regard. I'm just still dumbfounded as to how this happens in the Southeastern conference. Uh, that, that That's like nothing, Aaron, that you said is incorrect, but everything, everything, everything you said that's is right. Probably the difference maker in this decision was just the experience of right. being there before. And I'm right, not but, saying it should happen in the sec, but it's going I just, to, I don't know. Everything you're saying is correct. I think the the 
backing up a step is why are there not more players on your roster capable of playing this position? That's very valid. I, I think is, is and, and Stephen, also maybe, no, in, that's exactly right. I think this is a Will Muschamp. This is a question you would pose to Will Muschamp, to be totally honest. Okay, maybe he should be on punt return then. <laughs> the idea of him just sitting around doing nothing and like, Probably like busting a six or a natty on like a Friday paid, afternoon in the Georgia million dollars a year in the Georgia athletic complex, just hanging out, doing exactly what he did like 20, 30 odd years ago uh, as a, as the walk on bro that he was like, it just, that's a, he is exactly where he needs to be right now. Better haircut. Kirby smarter. Will Muschamp. Same haircut. Aaron, your thoughts. <laughs> I don't love either. Do I have to pick? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't make me don't make right. me pick all right let's let's wrap this up real quickly mention a few other things you got new quarterbacks at kentucky they're a 30 point favorite over ulm 10 texas a&m 30 point favorite over kent state although kent state's not terrible mississippi state a 23 point favorite uh, with will rogers there and mike leach in year two connor Basilak, a 13 and a half point favorite over central michigan so uh any anybody interested in any of those things or are we all just 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 riding along for no vanderbilt at home against etsu ken seals the quarterback anybody interested in any of that stuff yeah, you see the jump now on a on a leech offense. You'll start to see it now. How, how that jump translates to the SEC, obviously TBD. That's not going to happen this weekend. You will. You saw Rogers get way way more consistent. He understood the complexity of the book or the simplicity of the book since it's Mike Leach as they went on after he uh, replaced Costello. So I think you'll see state fans very excited coming out of the weekend. Kent State is very good, Braden. They were a little bit faster than Ole Miss on offense. That's not going to happen against AM. So AM's going to be totally fine. And then I think of all the offenses that need to show proof of concept, it might be Kentucky. You have a really, really terrible team coming in that's starting over that wasn't good to begin with. So you again, controlled scrimmage type situation. Go ahead and um, show some fun things off, like a movie trailer a little bit for the uh, concerned parties around that program, especially with your offense. So I would expect them to maybe throw the ball to someone who's going to catch it and score. <laughs> Are you taking named, notes, Kentucky? Named Robinson or Rodriguez um, or uh, like Cavassier. Um, Kentucky and Mizzou play next week, Aaron. You know I'm big on Missouri, so I uh, can't wait to see Basilak. You got anything there on those last couple of games? I mean, I, I am definitely most interested to see what happens with Kentucky. I know that, like we said, the, this matchup is – far, far from even. So hopefully they'll be able to have a little fun with it. I, I hope that they can get this offense um, in place correctly and doing some fun stuff and able to pass the ball like Stephen was referencing because I think this program was built the right way and um, actually had time to get the fundamentals in place. So I would love to see the offense fall into place and then them actually have a successful season because I'd like to see more programs run and built correctly. Like I feel like Kentucky has been doing under, under Mark Stoops. They are uh, the testament to patience. I will say that Aaron, they are the testament to being patient in a bad situation. That's 100%, 100% true. We did not mention Arkansas. They will play rice at home as a 20 point favorite. We'll see. What Sam boy, Pittman. We'll see what your boy Sam Pittman can do. I do think we are looking at a, a, a 13 and one sec record with uh, LSU holding the only loss in week one. So uh, when we come back, uh, always a pleasure hanging out with you guys. When we come back, you will hear my conversation with Joseph Goodman of AL.com right here on Fringe Element. Joe, welcome to the show, man. Appreciate you giving us some time. Uh, are we excited about college football showing back up on our calendars? Man, week one. Thank God it's here. I uh, can't wait. I'll be in Atlanta for uh... Alabama, Miami. So it's going to be one of the marquee matchups and I uh, just can't wait for that day to get here. You had a, a fascinating column about Brian Harson and Auburn. So we'll get to that a little bit later on as well. What, what, what they're doing, they obviously uh, are hosting Akron. So it's going to be a, an absolute thriller. Um, so let's start with Bama and, and Miami. And I feel like I do this every year. Like I see Bama's opponent in week one. And like, I, at first I go, Oh, that'll be a blowout. And then, like, I spend weeks and weeks and weeks trying to build up in my head as to why the opponent might actually have some semblance of an opportunity to win the game. And then by the time the game rolls around, I go, no, Bama's going to win by, like, a 1,000. So what are your thoughts on the matchup, how it's evolved over the last couple of months? Miami's got some dudes, I guess. Yeah, I mean, obviously the biggest question mark is always going to be that matchup on the offensive and defensive line. You know, when you go up against Alabama, I mean, yeah, Miami 
they got players back. Obviously, their quarterback is the kind of kryptonite that uh, traditionally has been a problem for Alabama defenses. You never really know week one, so something crazy could happen. I mean, like, just look last year, you know, LSU, Mississippi State. Like, there's always bizarre things that happen week one. In week zero, Nebraska totally imploded. I mean, you know, I guess people maybe saw that coming, but not at the level that it did. So, you know, it's always uh, hit or miss week one. Canes are a proud team, you know, and this is going to be like their big show against Alabama. I mean, it's going to be a great game, I feel like. You know, Alabama's always going to be favored in every game they play. You know, I, I think Miami has the experience to stack up with the team that is extremely talented, but also replacing a lot, obviously, from last year. That's sort of what I was going to get at. Like, compared, we, we know he turns out, turns the, the, the coaching staff every year, and we know he turns the roster, Saban does. But, you know, we, Bryce Young hasn't really played much, but he's assumed to be one of the best players in the conference at his position. We know all the skill talent, even though they lost all those dudes are there. Is this maybe a team that's a little bit more old school Saban in that it's going to be defensive focused at first? Or is this just, I guess, where where does this roster and this coaching staff look relative to, to the past couple of teams that have been absolutely dominant? I assume that the mentality <clears throat> is just reload, okay? I can't imagine that in today's SEC – that Nick Saban would go into a season with Lane Kiffin coaching offense at Ole Miss uh, with Jimbo loaded, you know, with all these teams with so much offensive firepower, thinking that he can win games the old school way with defense. I just can't imagine that be a thing that Saban would think. Um, But this defense is going to be raw, like no question about it. You know, most of the guys are back in the back, except for Sertain. Um, you know, he was obviously a special talent, but that defensive, those defensive backs are just so talented at Alabama now. Uh, the linebackers are sick. I mean, Christian Harris and Henry Tutu in the middle. Uh, the, I mean, the Tennessee transfer, I've just heard, has been like a man out there amongst Alabama guys. So that really kind of speaks to where he is uh, and what he brings to the table for Alabama. You know, the defensive line is going to be set also. You know, it's going to be a great Alabama defense, but you never know. Like, with a new quarterback, you know, with a running back that who's who's been there forever, who's finally starting to break through, you, you never really, I guess, know with that type of offense until you see it. But, yeah, it's going to be – I would imagine that they're not going to try to play conservatively. What are Bama fans talking about? Like, are they worried about A&M? You already mentioned Jimbo Fisher. They're loaded. Are they thinking about Georgia? Are they thinking playoff? Are they thinking national championship? Like, what, what are Alabama fans actually talking about right now? Oh, they're talking about winning the national championship with, uh, you know, a quarterback who's better than Tua. I mean, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, was a, that was a dumb question, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Bryce Young, apparently, I mean, everything I've heard, you know, from, from parents who've been in practice, um, and, and just have watched everything and, 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 and other boosters who kind of have inside uh, access to the team during fall camp say that Bryce Young is the real deal. Um, you know, he's a better scrambler than Tua. So, yeah, I, there's no doubt that he's going to be fine. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Has it gotten boring covering this team for you? <laughs> <laughs> um, God, it can never be boring covering college football in yeah, Alabama. I mean, it is just – the beating heart, man, and fans are, they'll call you out. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they bring it every day. So it's fun. No, I, I argue that uh, college football fans are the best fact checkers in the world. Um, if they could only apply all that, that thought and that talent to all the other things in their lives, but that's a different story for a different show. Um, let, let me switch to Auburn here real quickly. They'll, they'll host Auburn there or they'll host Akron. They're like a 40 point favorite. You had an interesting column. I recommend everybody go back and read it. Of course, about Brian Harson and the COVID situation. I, what I took from your piece, what I thought was interesting is like the margins for error at Auburn are so small during the Saban era. And Gus Malzahn finished, figured out a way to occasionally kind of break through and hit those, hit those marks. But if your margin for error is that small, when you're a good coach and you're established at Auburn, I, I can't imagine. It, to me, it just strikes me as in a season with unknowns, the margin for error is small. And now it's even smaller because of the situation he's put himself in. 
Right. So there, you know, there are two, I guess, major facets to the, the situation at Auburn. One is the fact that Auburn's coach, who's a huge public figure in Alabama, did not promote vaccination, which for a state that is so low in the vaccination, vaccination rate is a problem, in my opinion, and in a lot of Auburn people's opinions, too. You know, Charles Barkley came out and, and has been very, very vocal on the need to get vaccinated. He's had a he's he hosted a vaccination drive at Legion Field in Birmingham this past weekend. So Auburn has done their job, I guess, to promote vaccination in spite of the position that Auburn's football coach has taken for whatever reason he did. Now, on top of that, you have the fact that it's just happened during the middle of fall camp in the first fall camp for the new coach. And like you said, there's no room for error. Or I guess, like I said, like you said, <laughs> I mean, it's good that they do have two like preseason games in the beginning. Okay. Because you know, that, that should help them when Harrison gets back and he joins the team that he rejoined the team on Monday. So going into the season, uh, you need everything clicking in fall camp. You know, new offensive coordinator, new uh, head coach, you know, all these transfers have come in. Like Auburn really went out and, and got like nine or ten transfers that they have just plugged into the two deep. So you have all these moving parts and pieces, and the coach goes out for an extended period of time in fall camp. I mean, that that can't happen. That's a problem, you know, and especially – at a school in the SEC West when there's just no room for error. The slightest uh, competitive disadvantage will be exploited and taken advantage of. So, yeah, that that, that was essentially what I was trying to get across in the column. <laughs> I, 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 I picked it up, but clearly uh, what you were stepping in. Um, I, I'll say this about the team. I, I think there are some pieces there. I'm fascinated with the Mike Bobo-Brian Harson sort of relationship because I know they've got a pass, but they have very different – maybe offensive philosophies, you know, you've got a quarterback that people sort of like love and hate all at the same time. You've got a pretty good off, you know, you've got a pretty good running back, maybe the best in the conference. So you might be able to do some traditional Auburn things there. The schedule's really tough. Like I, I look at LSU and I go, I have no clue what they are. They could go two and six in the sec, or they could finish 11 and one and be very Auburn. Like I think Florida's got some chaos going on. Auburn's clearly got some chaos. What, what are fan expectations for Auburn this year? So it, that's interesting because Harrison has clearly tried to, you know, lessen the expectations going into this season. And I think fans are going to give him some grace period. So that's great for him. It wouldn't have been that way, obviously, with Gus Malzahn. You know, he was held to such a high standard all the time. And he fell short of that, at, you know, two out of three years. But I think they're going to give... Harson a pass this year, uh, which is great. You know, on the flip side of that, I do really think that Auburn has a chance to be competitive in the SEC. You know, they have some great defenders back. Like you said, you know, the running back is probably the best running back in the conference. And Bo Nix is a veteran quarterback. Now, in today's modern SEC, like, you got to have a good quarterback. Like, that is just if you're going to be competitive in the SEC and you're going to have a shot to win a division, then you have to have an extremely strong quarterback. That's just the way it is now. And so Bo, there are a lot of question marks around Bo Nix, you know, when it comes to his ability to lead the offense. They can't put it all on tank. Uh, you know, Bo Nix is going to have to keep defenses honest. So it, there's a lot for him to prove going into this season. So we, th we think they, like, I kind of, I'm kind of with you. Like there's, a low bar, but I think there's some nice pieces there. So it feels like if they get to seven or eight wins that the, the fans will be totally happy with that. But the schedules, you, you know what I mean? Like it's, I can kind of see both of them and Auburn tends to do, you know, strange things in, in, in general, when there's lots of expectations, nothing happens when there's no expectations, tons of things happen. So it's, it's all, it's gotta be a fun beat. I imagine. <laughs> yes. Auburn is, is a fascinating team to cover just because there's so much pressure on the coach. You know, you're sitting across the state from arguably the greatest college football coach of all time. And the demands are to beat him. I think that that's it. It's not like be competitive. Okay. 
it's you need to be better than him. So, <laughs> yeah. And, and then on top of that, the fan base can can become divided over over things uh, with different factions of boosters, and that's a whole different other bag of minutia that just kind of stirs the crazy pot at Auburn. So, yeah, it's a great team to cover. It's just such a passionate fan base. You know, they just love Auburn, and it's great. It's just great to cover, absolutely. Yeah, and, and one of the greatest towns in, in all of America to go eat some good food and watch some football. So uh, it, it's a blast, I'm, I'm sure. Um, you got to be Team Bobo, Team Steel, or Team Harson. I don't know which. You got to be on one of those three teams. We'll get the hashtags trending and, and see how it goes by the end of the year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Bobo has talked about establishing the run, which is really interesting for him to say. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what this offense does. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be a ton of fun. Joe, always a pleasure, man. Thank you. Keep up the good work. By the way, by the yes. way. Yes. So I have a book. I've, re- I've written a book. It's called We Want Bama, A Season of Hope and the Making of Nick Saban's Ultimate Team. It is a wild, wild chronicle of the year 2020 through the lens of the Alabama football team, but also just the entire, um, you know, cultural ethos of the state of Alabama. Um, it's it's kind of like a love song to the state uh, during one of the wildest, wackiest years, you know, that college football has ever had. So, you know, you can pre-order that and I'm really proud of it and excited about it and can't wait for it to drop. November 9th is when it drops and you can pre-order now Amazon, bookshop.org, you know, wherever you get books. Pre-order now, November 9th, it comes out. We want Bama. Uh, what, what do you want people to take away from it? Anything in particular? How much I love the state of Alabama. <laughs> That's good. And enough. Just how, how amazing that team was just from a team aspect, like coming together, you know, sacrificing for each other in a, in a year when everything was falling apart everywhere, you know, they, they made a pact to themselves and, and they stuck to it. That was Joseph Goodman of, of course, AL.com. You know, always love talking to him. Really insightful guy as it pertains to Alabama and Auburn. He's, of course, going to be in Atlanta for the Alabama game. And uh, obviously, we've talked a lot about it. Wrote a really interesting column, of course, Aaron, last week about Brian Harson and the margin for error. Uh, coaching at Auburn just in general, but also with all the stuff that's going on in the world. And we have not talked at all about COVID on this episode, which has been wonderful. But it's still out there and it still could affect the season. And, you know, depending on how vaccinated your team might be, like there could be a competitive advantage, but no matter how you slice it, Aaron, it is absolutely still a very real thing and affecting people on the ground every single day. Yeah. And I think that this makes sense. And I know that you didn't allude to this last week, Braden. I'm going to try to get through this without getting emotional. (laughs) Good luck to myself. But, you know, I was out last week with, you know, family issues. And I appreciated Braden kind of keeping that concealed until I was ready to talk about it. But, um, Danton Bartow, who was one of our very, very best family friends who played at university of Memphis, um, him, him and my dad have been friends for, um, my whole life. I think he started playing at Memphis in 1990 and I was born in 89. So there was really no time where he wasn't a present figure. Um, strongest, all of that to say like strongest person that I know, um, ever, (laughs) um, was just like an undersized linebacker still holds career tackling record at Memphis, but was just like saw the field in a way that you really can't describe and just was relentless. The last person on earth that you think could be affected by something like COVID, but it literally, this, this sickness knows no strangers. And unfortunately, like eight days after being diagnosed with COVID, we all thought and he, had, he had gone on a respirator, but we all thought like, oh, it's Danton. Like, it's like, he's going to sit up one day and be like, F this and pull the cords out of him and just leave the hospital. Like not the, not the guy. Um, he passed away just a few days ago at, at 50, um, has a son, Will, and the, um, his early twenties who also played football. And it just, it, if it hasn't, if it wasn't already real, seeing this like play out so close to home with someone that you just don't picture being affected by, not affected by this, or at least um, losing to it, has been 
extremely hard. And the reason that I, I appreciate you like giving me the space to do this on the show is just Dan, such a big part of why I am so invested in sports. Like I remember standing up next to him at Memphis games, like on the bleachers and trying to be a little bit taller by just standing on the bleacher behind him. But he's like literally a bear size compared to me and just, you know, him just irreverently. I mean, he's just absolutely hilarious, but irreverently yelling about, you know, defensive schema or our <laughs> Memphis's lack of ability to contain. We can't contain the whatever, just, <laughs> just ranting. And, you know, by middle school, I'm asking him all these detailed questions. And at some point he was like, by then his son's like four. So if Danton got sick of answering my questions, he'd be like, I don't Edie, like, fuck, just ask Will. And I'd turn around and like, <laughs> Will, his four-year-old would be like, well, um, blah, 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 blah. And just rattle everything off. So kind of like all over the place there talking about COVID and then also talking about why this was, it was such a significant thing that I had to miss the show last week, but you know, a little scatterbrained of a description, but I think it's, it has an appropriate place here as people are still making decisions about what to do for their own family. And after seeing, after seeing what went down last week, I just hope that people really do their research to know that they're doing the right thing, whatever that may be, um, to protect themselves and the people around them. Um, that's not me telling you what to do. It's just me telling you my own experience and and what we've seen play out the last week. Um, first of all, I think I speak for everyone in the audience when we say we're sorry um, for your loss. I, I also think your message is, is important. And I, I, I think that when you look at the numbers and I know this is a college football podcast and we're having fun going into week one and we're excited about football and all these stuff that we all get to do because we are sec football fans. And because football is here, um, you know, when you see those numbers on a screen that says 600,000, this and 700,000, we're closing in on 700,000 people. Um, just, just, I think it's important for people to know that, that those are not like, it, it may just be a number for you. Um, speaking to the audience here, but it's not just a number for all of those family members and those friends. And we are, my family is in that group. Your family is in that group, Aaron. And we, we are all different forever now because of it. And it just, I don't, I don't know how else we can make it more real for people than to sort of tell our stories. So I know it's hard and I am grateful for you saying what you said. Um, but hopefully it means somebody listening maybe does something to, to be a little bit more careful or something. I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm, 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 yeah. exa I'm exhausted. You're exhausted. The whole world's exhausted from all of this stuff and we want football and we're going to have football and it's going to be fun and great, but it doesn't mean we, we get to forget about the real world happening. So um, yeah, I, know this, it, I know this got serious here at the end. Yeah, I know, I know me being serious. <laughs> I know I, what have I, I, I what I, I thought today and I was serious. That's two things I don't normally do all the time. Um, but yeah, I think it doesn't need to be, it, this is, I am the least forceful person when it comes to things like this. It doesn't have to be a call to action. It just has to be whatever it, it needs to be for people. So take it for what it is. But, um, yeah, I mean, watching a parent like, uh, bury a best friend and then, you know, one of my mentors and like what I've decided to do for my career is, and, you know, someone that you just, just was never the person that you thought that you would lose to this. And so it's just, it's been the long week, but, um, I think that he would be pissed and cussing me out if he knew I was crying right now. So I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to stop. <laughs> well, I, I thank you for, for saying what you've said. I think people, uh, it's important that they hear these stories. I, I really do. I, I think it's really important as hard as it is to tell and, um, you know, like I said, I've, I've got my own and I haven't even told anybody about it. So I'm, I'm, you're way tougher than I am, man. There's no question about that. Um, <laughs> uh, all right. Well, on all transitioning of those, <laughs> on, on, on all of those very, very legitimately important notes, um, enjoy your football this weekend. Yes. Because that's what it's for. It's, it's to entertain and to enjoy and sure we can dick around on a podcast and talk about all the stupid, silly things we want to talk about but it is there because we share a passion and a love for something that entertains us. Um, but it doesn't mean that we just get to ignore everything that's happening in the real world. So uh, maybe for three hours, maybe for yeah. three hours, you get to ignore and forget everything. But, um, 
uh, it, there's people out there on a the field, you know, like <laughs> they're, they're actual people playing the game and they're doing it for our enjoyment. So just take a second to, to, to soak in reality this weekend and, and smile. Even if your team is, even if you're LSU and you're losing to UCLA, just, uh, try to take a minute and, and smile. You're dealing hell LSU people are dealing with a whole lot of shit right now. So golly, uh, there are other factors. <laughs> What a world we live in, Aaron. What a Ugh. effing world we live in. Uh, on that note, special thanks to Stephen Godfrey, Joe Goodman as well. Obviously, our wonderful sponsor, Jaspers. Go to Jaspers Free Parking. Uh, of course, great happy hour. You can go uh, hang out and watch the games all weekend long and and um, you know celebrate football being back as best we can. So, Aaron, where can people follow you? Um, Instagram, Aaron underscore Dugan, or Twitter, the Aaron Dugan. There you have it. She's way more active on the gram than she is on Twitter. That is for <laughs> sure. My name yep. is Braden Gall. You can follow me at Braden Gall, at Braden D. Gall on Instagram, at 440 Sports on Twitter and Facebook, as well as 440 Media on Instagram. Uh, as usual, thank you to everybody for hanging out with us. Rate, review, subscribe, share the show. Enjoy week one. That is all we ask here on Fringe Element on the 440 Sports Network. Go sports. <laughs>